Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. From Barangaroo Studios, this is the COB, brought to you by eToro. Invest in ASX shares with $0 commission. Well, hello, hello. This is the COB, all the stuff you need to know about the day in business and markets. And today, the RBA. I'm Nadine Blaney. I'm Kyle Rotter. And uh, well, what a day it was. I will add a little bit of hyperbole because why not? Uh, a historic day, perhaps. The uh, pausing of a 10-month rate hiking campaign from the RBA. Is that the end of it? Well, a lot of people are saying potentially so. Only time will tell. But for now, markets seem to be largely welcoming the uh, pause from the central bank. Yeah, look, we've got a special guest coming up, Martin Crabb from Sean Partners a little bit later on. But yeah, just dictating the session obviously was the expectation for rates, everyone's saying. I mean, this is an overused term, line ball call from the RBA. But it did go with the pause, talking about letting uh, those past interest rate hikes catch up with the data being very data dependent. And of course, we do have the RBA governor, Philip Lowe, speaking tomorrow. So that is going to be very closely watched and very closely listened to. Absolutely. Add some colour to that decision. And let's see uh, another chance for the governor to try and craft the narrative perhaps a little bit more clearly, because if there's been one criticism, often from the public, certainly from market participants, is that sometimes the story has been a little hard to follow. So we'll see what the governor says tomorrow when that speech is delivered. Well, we know, though, that it had a mildly positive impact on equities here locally today. The Aussie dollar going the other direction, you know, did fall significantly in the wake of that. We've got the S&P ASX 200 at 7,236, up by two tenths of a percent as we continue this conversation right here and right now. The final match out still to come. But uh, across the Asian region, there has been, look, a bit of negativity. Hang Seng is down by about a percentage point. The Shenzhen composite down by about six tenths of a percent because we did get that OPEC plus surprise mm. production cut. And that sort of cast a pall uh, on some expectations for global growth, you know, the impact there, also inflation. So it, it brings back the specter of potentially interest rate hikes coming from the Fed. But then, you know, interesting when we've got our own central bank pausing. So much to talk about. So much to talk about. Interesting, too, we had that PMI data out of the United States, which was a little bit weaker than expected, yeah. too. So still talking about all these recession fears. And I guess with uh, oil prices rising and you know the run-up mm -hmm. we did see in tech stocks, um, some positioning there, especially now that we've started this new quarter. Some people are talking about oil prices at around $100 per barrel, not ruling that out again. All we know is that's been pretty positive for the energy sector here again today. Uh, Look, Whitehaven Coal, New Hope Coal, those are the real energy names that have done well off the back of coal prices. Um, New Hope was mentioned on a very special edition of the call today. We did um, have all of our stocks nominated by the ASX NZX Stock Investors Facebook group. Ah. And so, yeah, there was a lot of these big names in there. Um, there was only Megaport out of the tech index. But yeah, New Hope was 
was one of the companies we reviewed, which is why I got on this tangent. And so you want to listen to that episode. It was a good one with Ben Clark and Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Yeah, I don't know if you had zero on there, but it's up 1.31% today. Uh, Often one associated with that sort of high quality tech that, uh, well, at least in the United States, has performed so well. But uh, one lag on the market, really interesting, has been the uh, miners. I don't know if it is an extension of that kind of global growth concerns that emerged, well, specifically last night. Uh, the iron ore price has been relatively resilient. It has to be said, not anywhere near where it was, but relatively resilient. But two days in a row now where our miners have, uh, well, struggled a little. Mm-hmm. Well, BHP and Rio were both on this episode of The Call that I keep name dropping. So if you want to take a listen to that, you can do so via podcast form, if that's what you prefer, or osbiz.com.au. So yeah, the RBA really did dominate the day today. What What's your sense? So there's a difference between what the RBA should do and what the RBA did do. Do you think a pause is in order? Well, I mean, I've been saying for a while that in my uh, very simple way of le- looking at the world, that if the cash, as if the rate of inflation is above target, then perhaps you should continue to, to, to hike interest rates. But, you know, we were ta- talking to David Flanagan from Curve Securities today, really emphasised, obviously, those annualised numbers when you look at the slowdown in the month-on-month increases when it comes to inflation data across the world. And let's be honest, over the last week or so, we knocked the RBA's communication, but they'd been pretty clear that they'd, well, want to assess the long and variable lags of, of monetary policy, especially as it relates to these interest rate cliffs, uh, the big savings buffers, all these other variables. So they kind of set us up for it. We sort of knew it was coming. And I guess overall, if you look at the market reaction, relatively modest compared to other central uh, RBA decisions, um, largely as expected. But of course, the question now becomes where to next? Yeah, where to next? The dollar was the reflection of that move coming from the RBA. I think it's time to bring in Martin Crabb, who's joining us from Sean Partners to the COB. Martin, so good to see you again. Thank you, you for soon, joining yeah. us. So, well, what's next? Or do you want to talk about what happened today? Yeah, look, um, uh, hawkish pause, right? So we're pausing, but we're leaving ourselves open to be able to increase rates again. So some further rises may be needed with the emphasis, as Jerome Powell says, on some and may. So um, obviously they think there's been enough damage done to the consumer because they mentioned that in their statement that they think there's, a, you know, there's already a slowdown starting to happen. So they're seeing that pick up, which is interesting. And they also obviously mentioned what's happened with, uh, with credit default swaps and, and financial conditions more broadly tightening. So they're giving themselves room to go again. So there's a couple of people that said, look, they'll pause here and then go in May. The futures are not pricing that. There's a small chance of a rise in May, but the futures are pretty much saying they're done. So if we're if we're done, then that's got significant implications for asset allocation, whether you buy a house or not, whether you take out a, a loan to, to go and expand your business. But just seeing the futures curve there, and this was before the decision, the only real move I saw was May was ticked down a little bit, so not uh, too much change. So market's expecting flat rates to slash cutting rates mm-hmm. going forward. So, I mean, I was just reading the language through here and we did see that there was a sort of a shift back in terms of where a possible hike would come. And, and when I last year, it was like a 25, a 25% chance that a hike could uh, could occur in June. But is this kind of like when you're a kid and you do something wrong and your mother would just sort of give you that look and just be like, don't do that again. And if you do that again, you're going to be in trouble. The RBA just saying, listen, we're going to pause, but don't get too crazy here because if inflation picks up again and you start spending uh, like, you, like you were, we're going to slap you down with another rate hike. Is is that kind of the the, the tone that was coming through this this document? Yeah, your uh, school teacher getting the ruler out on you, Kyle, and <laughs> you're throwing spitballs from the back row of your class. That's it. Now, look, I don't think that's the narrative. I think the narrative is more that we think we've done enough. Right. We're starting to see signs that 
inflation is cooling and that uh, the consumer is starting to pull back their consumption, which, you know, we're not seeing a lot of that. There's a lot of, you know, try and get a restaurant in Sydney, for example, right? There's, yeah. there's a lot of activity out there. So we're not seeing that slowdown, but maybe the RBA are. And they're obviously talking to looking at things like loan arrears and those sorts of things. So I think the narrative is more that we are at or close to a peak in interest rates. And that's got to have an implication for for investors. Okay, so implications for investors. Um, Well, I'd like to talk about gold. Gold stocks higher today, even though we saw gold prices leveling off. Yeah. We've got oil, you know, again, being supported by OPEC+. Plus. I was speaking to a guest earlier today, Aaron Binstead from Lazard Asset Management, who said that when we stopped investing in oil and gas, we basically gave the keys to OPEC to take over the market and to dictate what goes next. And the Russians. And the Russians, <laughs> yeah. So when you think about um, yeah, where you sort of look to invest, do any of those sectors appeal? Yeah, definitely. And look, I think it's worth interesting, worth thinking about, sorry, gold is a fear indicator and oil is a growth indicator. So we like to look at the ratio between the two and whether it's going up or going down. So if you look at the ratio of gold to oil, I mean, basically they've both done the same thing. If you bought, if you put a dollar into both of them back in 1960, you got pretty much the same amount of money today. So they're both really a long-term inflation hedge, but they move completely out of sync. So if we index it back to one, uh, back in 1960, you can see they're both about 55 bucks. So, which would probably surprise people that gold and oil have gone up by the same amount. But the ratio between the two is really interesting in that when there's fear about slowing global growth, you see the oil price decline. And when there's fear about financial stability or, or um, geopolitical risk, you'll see gold go up. So even though they track each other long term, um, you know, they do move uh, significantly. Uh, yeah, so that's just the ratio of, you know, if they're both starting at one back in 1960s, uh, what are they doing? And forget about the level, forget it, look at the, uh, at, at the movement. So when this ratio spikes, you've got, you've got crisis, whether it's the 87 crash or COVID or, you know, the big, the big sell-off we had in, uh, in the GFC. And, as, and it's been rising lately. So that's manifesting two things. One is a concern about, about growth and, and the US seems to be slowing quicker than people thought, but also this concern about financial stability. So that's why the gold oil ratio, so they're both going up at the moment, but gold's been going up a lot faster than oil. So look, we think there's a place for both of them in portfolios, Nadine. We've been huge fans of energy last year because it was mm-hmm. an inflation hedge. I think going forward, there's less of a case for energy because you know the situation in Ukraine doesn't seem to be deteriorating and global demand for oil seems to be falling. So, But gold, on the other hand, is, is uh, very well placed. Aussie dollar gold is almost $300,000 an ounce. And most analysts have, you know, maybe two and two and a half thousand. So I think the whole sector's come up grades. Folks like Ray Dalio and a few other high profile investors, I think Ron Camilla is a, the, the same, always says, you know, maybe five to 10% of your portfolio in gold. I mean, do you just subscribe to that belief? And if you do, I mean, do you get it, that exposure through Aussie gold miners or do you just go straight to the futures contract? What's, yeah. what's the best way to do it? Yeah, we're probably not five to 10. I think that's a little bit punchy. Probably mm. three, three to five, maybe is kind of our, our, our thoughts. And it's the airbag quality. We've spoken about this before. Like, if the world's going to hell in a handbasket, you want to own gold. Um, and so we own both physical gold well, via an ETF, but it's effectively physical gold. And we also own gold miners. So, look, the physical gold doesn't generate you any income. You're just exposed to the movement. But whereas a miner can generate income and, and so forth. So we've got evolution, but you could throw a blanket over Newcrest, Northern Star, Evolution. They're all big liquid gold names. They tend to move in sync with the gold price, but they're leveraged to it. 
Um, and then you can buy the ETF or the Perth Mint Gold. Mm. Copper, can we talk copper? Sure. We've got global growth. We've got potential supply shortage. I mean, that's what we're being told. Yeah. Uh, decarbonization, obviously, you know, a long-term play, but do you um, like and have exposure to copper now? It's really hard to get exposure to it now because Oz was the yeah. was the big stock that you could own, and that's been gobbled up by BHP. And so you can't really buy, you can buy BHP for copper exposure, but it's a tiny amount mm -hmm. of the portfolio. So it's kind of disappeared. So you've got to go into the mid caps, go Sandfire and some Aries, of these smaller yeah. players, Aries and so forth. So we like copper, lithium, graphite, cobalt, rare earths, anything that goes into making EVs. Um, and you know, copper's probably a bit broader than that. So you're not just relying on the EV story with copper. It's basically the electrification of, of the world, right? So if we're gonna have more um, renewable power, it's gotta find a, its way into things. And so we're gonna need more copper for that. So I think copper's the, the I suppose, the broadest way to play that thematic. Um, but I think if you really want to play EV, you'd probably go lithium. But yeah, it's difficult for investors. So in, our, in the portfolios that I manage, it's only the top 100 stocks. So basically with Oz going, I've got, I've got no copper. I've got to go yep, and one, of my, yeah. one of my small cap guys and say, can you buy some mm -hmm. copper for me? Yeah, yeah interesting. Um, can we just talk broad sentiment? Because we've come off such a strong quarter, yeah. you know, yeah. and everybody wants to know, is this is this it? You know, yeah. we see in the bottom, we're watching interest rates peak, literally, potentially here yeah. with this pause coming from the RBA. It's, it's Does really it only interesting. Go up? It's really interesting at the moment, Nadine, and they've got a lot of very well-respected um, uh, commentators and a lot of really big investors who are still very bearish and saying we're going to retest the lows of last year and that earnings estimates are way too high, the equity risk premiums way too low, and there's starting to be cracks in the system as we've seen with the mm -hmm. banks. So they're all super bearish, they're all very underweight. So if you look at the surveys of fund managers, you know, we're two standard deviations high on cash and two standard deviations low on equities, mostly US equities. So everyone's bearish, but we've just had seven days in a row of up, of up markets, we're up 4% in seven days. That only happens once a year. Um, you know, and the bears have no shares. So the, the narrative is so negative at the moment, but you know, we're, we're just seeing the market grind higher. So I think there's this very negative sentiment, but rising markets. We know what happens there is that the sentiment starts to chase the market. The market's not chasing the sentiment. The sentiment's been negative for probably 15 months or 16 months since the start of last year, really. So we, we've sort of gone the other way. And so look, if everyone's so negative, um, it's already in the price, right? So there's not like an additional bear that's going to turn up tomorrow. <laughs> Some of the bears are turning into bulls. Yeah. And, and we've moved from bearish to neutral, and we're now seeing signs that, hang on, if the Fed's done and the RBA's done and inflation's coming down by itself and we've got full employment and immigration starts to kick in, we're off to the races oh, here. Boy. You know, this is a positive development. So is that to say then, because that was going to take uh, me to my, my next question about sort of what the rates curve is implying, which is obviously a significant slowdown, potentially cuts before, before the end of the, the year. And, you know, we're seeing tech stock, for example, in the States benefiting from that. Yeah. But the arguments that, you know, maybe uh, the earnings downgrade and recession risk isn't priced in, you say not so, that actually it's, it's probably in the price now, that big slowdown, and yeah. ergo we'll buy when others are fearful? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, for people to say, look, the rest of the market's wrong, but I'm right. I mean, mm. it's tautological, right? You can't have everyone disagreeing with the market because everyone is the market. So I think this view that, you know, analysts and, and companies are delusional because there's a huge cliff in spending coming that's not in their numbers. I mean, the companies are very, 
you know, companies are under a legal obligation to, to, up, to update the market. And if they see a deterioration in, in earnings outlook, then they've got to tell the market. And look, you could say that Seek today was a little bit of a canary in the coal mine because they guided to the bottom end of their range and the stock was down 6% at one stage, but it, it rallied back pretty strongly. Orica just came out with a profit upgrade the other day and that's an industrial company. So we're not, I'm looking for it. I'm just not seeing any signs of this big slowdown in earnings. So, you know, the counterfactual, if that doesn't happen, and we've got peak rates and the next move in rates is down and the central banks are comfortable they've done enough to slay the inflation dragon and we've got full employment and opening up economies and china's starting to rip again what's not to like about equities let's leave it there shall we martin crap sean partners always good to see you thank you so much you're welcome hey kyle it was a pretty quiet day on the corporate news front today good thing because of course we were all well obsessed with the RBA and the decision coming through there. Uh, But we did hear from Mincor Resources unanimously backing that $760 million offer from Wailu Metals. I wonder why they're all of a sudden fully on board. Last week, if you remember, BHP just gave it the big, you know, the big red flag saying that it's uh, not meeting its specifications. It's nickel specification, so it was not being able to make debt repayments. So that's one piece of news out there. Um, And then we had Seek, of course. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, well, flagging, uh, as we were just talking about, then the potential risks of a softer labour market and earnings going forward. Uh, little whispers too from someone I know there that uh, even they are looking at uh, obviously consolidating just a little bit. So uh, double whamming there. But uh, nevertheless, uh, clearly something that the markets did not uh, take particularly well was uh, the guidance upgrade, uh, guidance update there from, from Seek. Seek was the stock of the day. Let's take a listen to what my guests had to say on the special episode of The Call. Ben Clark from TMS Capital and Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. The interesting thing Seek have been doing for the last three years is they've been um, amalgamating their platform right throughout Asia, Southeast Asia. Uh, so, you know, they had a, a, a Seek platform, digital platform for Australia, and then they have one for Indonesia, and then have spent a lot of money over the last couple of years effectively becoming a one platform business. And I think it's probably a hold at the moment, just because I think that the uncertainty around, you know, the employment market looking forward, that's not going to sort of dissolve anytime soon. But there's still these great structural tailwinds going through into their Asian businesses, which actually Ian Narev caught out, you know, was kind of like we back, like, you know, that they really suffered during mm-hmm. COVID, Brazil and places like that. So I would definitely continue to hold it. And it's probably one you buy on a dip. I think it's a hold as well for exactly that reason. It's not cheap enough to be obviously a slam dunk. Um, I absolutely wouldn't sell it. It's one of the very highest quality businesses on the ASX. That international potential has to start delivering at some point um, to make it a buy again, or as Ben says, a meaningful share price drop. It was a cracker of an episode of The Call, Kyle, if I do say so myself. I'm glad to hear. And uh, it was great we get uh, that community feedback as to what we talk about. Keep the questions, requests coming. Yeah. um, Look, we are getting low on time. Mm. Uh, Overnight, we do have some events coming through, U.S. factory orders. We haven't even really talked about the Jolt's job openings. 
Now, Scotty got sick of me saying this. Do you remember, Scotty? I used to say it was Janet Yellen's favorite read on employment because it was the quit rate, essentially. The quit rate, you know, if you're confident enough to quit your job, you must be confident enough that you're going to get them. So we'll see what this number tells us about the so strong U.S. labor market still. And then, of course, Loretta Mester. She's uh, normally known as a hawk, but... um, You know, a lot of these descriptors, I suppose, have been massaged over the past 10, 11 months or so. So we'll look forward to hearing what she has to say. Definitely. And uh, well, that's tomorrow. We've got RBA Governor Lowe speaking. We've uh, spoken about that ad nauseum, you could say. Uh, But the RBNZ also meets and uh, also in a very different set of circumstances, you have to say, because... Well, some persistently strong data there, but of course, recession risks in New Zealand building, especially after what has been a dreadful, dreadful couple of months, quarter or so, when it comes to the uh, weather, expected to hike interest rates actually by 25 basis points. That'll take it to 5%, uh, so significantly higher, obviously, uh, than uh, the, the RBA's current policy rate. Okay, so we've got a few investor briefings, a couple of AGMs on. We look forward to all of that tomorrow. Okay, well, let's get across those leaders now. And uh, for the session, coal and gold, really. Call it gold, wrap it up. I'm kidding. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) uh, One might be described as what, black gold, I guess. The other, uh, just uh, the the, the real thing. But Whitehaven coal up 5.5%, gold road up 5.2%. We did have the gold price actually, just touching on that briefly. We spoke about it extensively Mm -hmm. with Martin Crabb. Uh, quite uh, naturally, but uh, up around $2,000 an ounce in the United States. So if we do start to see this kind of shift in rate expectations, um, apparently too, of course, the, the weaker Australian dollar sometimes benefits mm-hmm. our local gold miners, could be a continued boom for some of those names you can see there. Look, just a couple of other companies, maybe not on the top five, but uh, Reverse Solutions did really well today up by close to 10%. That is in the tech space and it... Um, Yeah, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Also Domino's Pizza, so terrible result came through, but it was up by three and three quarters of a percent today. And we've got car sales as well. Carsales.com completing its retail entitlement offer and its share price was up by close to 3%. Temple and Webster as well. And will it notify the market of a buyback coming through? Um, Look, no other real news associated with it. If we flip the page, EML Payments is uh, one of those companies that uh, not not doing very well today, down by four and a half percent. But again, it's so interesting to see, you know, these lithium names one day up, one day down today, it's uh, negative. Yeah, absolutely. After that big surge last week, probably some of the enthusiasm cooling for the space. We'll continue to watch whether Liontown Resources get an, gets an updated bid from Abermal. I haven't heard anything necessarily from no. that yet, but uh, I do know that stock is trading at uh, the pre- a premium to that offer price of about $2.50 per share. But if you look across, uh, Net Wealth also out with some news today. Well, it was yesterday, uh, yesterday. yeah. Oh, and then gosh, the brokers weighed in today. So yeah, how time flies. I know when you mentioned the PMI data earlier in the piece, I thought, oh my God, that feels like a lifetime ago. Mm. Pilbara Minerals, just to let me name drop the call again, it was on the call and it divided my guests. So we will see what happens there. Again, Seek was one of the worst performers. I mean, not in the bottom five, but not not far from it. And uh, Suncorp as well. We had the ACCC weighing in in relation to the ANZ purchase of Suncorp Bank. And so it has, um, well, if you'd want to go and have a little look-see at that, um, plenty of detail online about it. Um, Small to mid-cap space, Kyle. 
place close to my heart, Cyclopharm. I actually spoke with the CEO just yesterday. Mm. It's uh, moving forward with FDA approvals. Queensland Pacific made a deal with some German partners to help fund a project project up in the NT and Aura Energy up by about 15%. Um, it's in the uranium space and it's referencing that, oh boy, is it Sweden? Sweden made a decision when it comes to uranium that has been a bit of a boon to the whole uranium space mm. today. There you go. And uh, as you said before, to Prefer Solution, another one uh, that was up around 9.76%. On the flip side of the equation, Globe International down 21.21%. Oh, that stock that we like to say, Jevois, Jevois Global, <laughs> off by a little bit more, I suppose it's going to be the Je case. Vois. Je vois. Uh, at seven cents per share, you're always going to see that uh, move around if, uh, if if it does and, and end up on this uh, uh, map here. But uh, well, there you go. There's uh, some of the moves in the small and mid cap space today. All right. So that brings us to the end of the COB on a big day for, well, perhaps not markets. I mean, there wasn't this massive knee-jerk reaction in markets because mm. there was large expectations that we would see the RBA pause. But I think it is important. I don't know if it's historic, as you said off the top. I like a little drama in, in TV though. But um, I do think it's important because it just means that we're moving to another phase. And to Martin Crabb's point, Kyle, when you're moving into another phase, um, you know, it, it just changes your whole approach to investing. And uh, that's what we're here for, for, to help people understand the different views. Because of course, there is the cohort out there that I've seen them on my Twitter feed saying, you're kidding me, you know, can't believe that they're pausing when inflation is still, uh, you know, in black and white at 6.8%. Yeah, I'm waiting for the cynics on Twitter to pop out and talk about the uh, Reserve Bank of Property or whatever it happens to be when, it's, uh, yeah. when it comes to this decision. But, well, uh, especially when we saw property, sorry, but property yeah, prices yeah, yeah, yesterday absolutely. lifting, you know, you will have those out there on Twitter saying, it's insane, you know, they're there to prop up the property market and nothing else. Yes, the fat cats, that's what they're always there to protect. No, of course, it's uh, it's always nuanced and we're here to get you across that nuance. And like you said, an inflection point, so it's mm-hmm. going to have a big impact on your investing from here. But Nadine, uh, what do you reckon after a massive day? We'll wrap that one up. Yeah, we will wrap the COB up. Wonderful to be with you today. And please do catch up with everything online. But don't go anywhere. I know a lot of you have been hanging out for it. The latest edition of the Investment Committee is next. The COB is brought to you by eToro. Invest in ASX shares with $0 commission. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.